Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. Almost 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. Knowing we can rely on regular gifts each month takes some of the guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you're invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. What is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia for the gospel. Click the banner at vision.org.au or in the Vision app to find out more about becoming a Visionary Extra Mile Partner. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking about the COVID pandemic in a way you may never have heard before. But wisdom in hindsight may be wisdom in foresight. For the next time we're confronted by the role of church in society facing national crisis and even persecution by government. A new documentary is about to be released in August for Australians called The Essential Church. It tells the story of an American church called Grace Community Church and their struggle against the county and state of California. Mandated restrictions during the COVID pandemic caused many churches to close their doors indefinitely. But the church congregation led by well-known and sometimes controversial pastor John MacArthur took a courageous stand and reopened its doors. Amid health and political uncertainty, the church filed a lawsuit to protect their God-given rights. Facing fines, even jail time, the church began to document what is truly at stake. Two special guests joining us through this coming hour. Phil Johnson, who is Executive Director of the Ministry, Grace to You, and he edits John MacArthur's major books. Also, Shannon Halliday is director of the Essential Church Movie. Uh, First of all, a special welcome to you, Phil Johnson. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. And Shannon Halliday, a special welcome to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're pleased to be here. Uh, Let me start uh, the movie. Let's get our head around that for a few moments. A feature-length documentary and reflecting not just the circumstances in the United States, but also a number of countries around the world. If I come to you first, Shannon, as director of the film, uh, a fair bit of work gone into this. Yeah, uh, this was uh, a lot of work. It was two two years in the making, and we focused on telling the story of the church, and not just the church... uh, um, of Grace Community Church, but also we look to the past and we look to church history. And we also look at the global church presently, which is represented by our Canadian brothers and sisters up in uh, Canada. So uh, we tell that story and, and just carry that spine of the church taking a stand that Christ is the head of the church and we're not going to compromise that. And uh, the opening, which has already happened in the U.S., I think it premiered in 50 cinemas across the U.S., uh, really demonstrates something pretty important, that the church is an essential service. Staying with you for a moment, Shannon, 
uh, on the reaction you've received as director. No doubt you've been doing a lot of interviews. Uh, the reaction so far to the movie as you've been re- receiving that sort of feedback. Yeah, it's been really, it's been really exciting to hear the the feedback. People have really liked the film. Uh, you know, I've I've heard a few people say you better bring your tissues when you come and watch the film. That uh, there is some, you know, some rough rough things that happened during COVID that we go into where pastors were ripped from their families and thrown into jail, maximum security prisons, and you know, right in front of their children. Um, so. There's a lot of uh, heartfelt emotion in it, in what happened and, and how the state just really overran their their jurisdiction and went into the church and, and did things they shouldn't have done. Phil Johnson, let's talk about the feeling at the start, because at the start, and we've got our own stories here in Australia around perhaps you'd call it coercive government and the mandates that came with the COVID pandemic. At the start... It didn't feel like persecution. Can you give us some insight as to how things started off fairly well, okay, with some possibilities there could be a threat, and then they began to grow and develop from there? It didn't feel that bad at the beginning, did it? Well, right, because at the beginning, no one knew how bad the virus was going to be. There were uh, news stories. I I remember vividly seeing uh, an interview with a New York news crew that went to a mortuary and this mortician had literally stacked bodies all around his place. I think in retrospect, I'm more inclined to think this was a a guy who wasn't doing his business very well, but the impression it was designed to give you is that people are going to be dying in the streets and we're going to have bodies stacked like cordwood. This is a very dangerous threat and everything needs to shut down. And since no one really knew how accurate that was, uh, at first, as you say, we thought maybe the prudent thing to do is is to shut down for a while. And the government was saying at the time, just we just need 15 days to to flatten the curve, to to catch up with this. And after 15 days, things will be okay. But of course, the lockdown continued much longer than 15 days, and. And that's when some of us began to say, is this is this really a health crisis, purely a health crisis, or is there another agenda behind this? Sometimes we wonder about other agendas, and we've got lots of faith and confidence in our governments to do the right thing, but they don't always do the right thing, and things begin to come unstuck. I imagine when you've got an ongoing closure of the churches, but you recognise that there are some other organisations that are are allowed to function and open and almost work as normal. Uh, Phil Johnson, just to stay with you on this, um, you began to see that there are other organisations that were functioning, but churches were being closed. Yes, and in fact, that's where the word essential in the title of the film comes from, uh, the essential church. The government was saying essential businesses need to remain opening, and they classified some rather unusual things as essential. But within a few weeks, they were they were reopening gambling casinos and uh, massage parlors and things like that. But saying, no, the church needs to stay closed. Uh, the church is not essential. Uh, the the since I work for a media ministry, Grace to You, we produce a radio broadcast. Uh, they had decided that communications and radio is essential, 
so we could stay open. So we could continue to work. I was working in the office every day, but I couldn't go to church and worship with fellow believers, uh, or at least I was not supposed to. I would go every Sunday because John MacArthur was preaching from the pulpit to a camera. Uh, and I remember the first few Sundays, there were just eight people. I counted eight people in this vast auditorium listening to John MacArthur. And I think a lot of us began to realize this is this is not the crisis they said it would be, number one. And number two, this notion that the church is not essential is simply wrong. And the government doesn't really have the authority or the prerogative to to delve into that which belongs to Christ and and as opposed to that which belongs to Caesar and tell the church, you, you can't open, you can't sing hymns, you can't do this, you can't do that. And people began to sort of filter back into the church. And within a few weeks, there were hundreds of people there and, uh, and no one was getting sick and dying and all the dire predictions simply weren't coming true. And so after after some time, the elders got together and said, you know, we, we need to reopen the church. We need fellowship. And and the the isolation of this uh, of this shutdown is actually more dangerous, especially to our elderly people than than the um, the virus itself would be. Shannon, the idea of an essential service and we think of. Uh, the emergency department in our hospitals. We think of those ambulances, uh, paramedics that might arrive uh, when there's an emergency. We want people to put out a fire if there's a fire to be put out. We think of those essential services. Some people don't think of the church as an essential service. How do you think you have portrayed the church in the essentialness of what it truly is? Because uh, I, like you, will say, yes, of course, it's an essential service. You're dealing with the spirituality of people. Uh, how do you see things, Shannon? Yeah, well, in the film, there's a few testimonies of of a few people that share uh, their moments in COVID. And one of the stories uh, is a gentleman who is not a Christian. He, um, he had just gotten out of the hospital from a stroke. He was all by himself. He was into alcohol. He was then just spiraling down and considering suicide. He's looking at the world and it's just getting darker and darker and darker. Everything's closed. And then he sees on the news that there's this little Baptist church that refuses to close. And he says, well, why are they open? And I have I have questions that need answers and maybe they can answer them. So he goes down to the church and he shows up and starts asking all these questions and they share the gospel with him and he gets saved. Uh, he no longer wants to kill himself. He, he's no longer an alcoholic. And uh, the church staying open was the exact salt and light that he needed to see in order to save his not only physical life, but his eternal soul. So the, the church was, you know, churches that shut down during that time really missed an opportunity. They had an opportunity to have such a backdrop of darkness behind them and let the light shine so it would be so clear what they are saying. And so many of them shut down. But the churches that stayed open, their churches grew because people people were ministered to. People became Christians and, uh, you know, lives were changed. And there's nothing more important than that. There's there's things that are more important than just our physical safety sometimes, almost all the time, actually. So I, mean, I would say that the documentary speaks to that. You have this health pandemic, but what begins to emerge is a mental health pandemic and people tend to separate 
the spirituality of a person from what mental health means. If you try to secularise what mental health is all about, uh, you're just on a different plane. But Christians and uh, Christian preachers and leaders have been working in this space now for the last 2,000 years. Uh, Philip Johnson, the thought of the church being an essential service, this spirituality we might be realising now, but I guess in an, a rising anti-Christian environment, it's tough for people to actually recognise that the church is an essential service. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. In fact, the church is tasked to be the purveyor of the gospel, the proclaimer of the good news. And in a time when hope is dissipating and people are losing hope and, and losing any anchor, they're, they're shut in because of a, a, a government lockdown and hope is disappearing, what's most essential then would be the church, which is the proclaimer of the message that's full of hope. Where are people going to go for that hope in a, in a hopeless era? So that's, that's just one of the ways that the church is essential. You know, I go, go also to the words of Jesus, who uh, you remember when he, when he dealt with Martha and Mary, and Mary wanted to sit at his feet and worship and Martha wanted her to be rebuked. Jesus said she's chosen that one thing that is essential, mm. that one thing that is necessary uh, to sit at Jesus' feet and worship. And the church is the place where we do that as a corporate group. Uh, and if Jesus says that's the one thing necessary, then Caesar can't come along and say that's not even essential because it is. Well, we're talking church and state, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, rendering unto God what is God's. I want to open our talkback lines. We won't take any calls before the news, but shortly we'll open talkback lines and you might like to have your say. I'll encourage you to do so on 1-800-316-316. Two special guests with us from the United States this morning, Philip Johnson. He's executive director of the ministry Grace to You. He edits John MacArthur's major books. And Shannon Halliday is the director of the Essential Church Movie. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Phil Johnson, when you're actually under this pressure, you recognise that there are gambling casinos, there's hotels, there's strip clubs, there's providers of marijuana. They've remained open. Churches are being shut down. Some will be saying, when is the right time to exercise some sort of a civil right uh, and to exercise civil disobedience? At what point did you and the leadership team at Grace Community Church recognise you had to stand up? Weeks into the shutdown, when the government began to actually pile on more and more restrictions uh, to churches, saying not only... Can you not meet uh, indoors? But even when you meet outdoors, they said you shouldn't sing hymns. Uh, there was a whole list of things you had to do if you wanted to comply with the government regulations. And for our church, that made it impossible. There was there was no way for the body to gather uh, to worship. There was no there was no park or outdoor facility that would have been adequate for our church to gather at. And when they piled all these restrictions on, it just became impossible. We had set up a tent in the parking lot to uh, to try to accommodate some outdoor uh, meetings. But the, the more we did, the more they tried to sort of shut it down. It became pretty clear that what's going on here is that Caesar is trying to intrude into the realm that belongs to Christ. And since Jesus said, 
render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but render to God that which is God's, uh, we came to realize, look, it's, it's, our, it's our obligation, really, as servants of Christ, not to, not to let Caesar come in and shut down the church, basically. As our story in Australia was beginning to unfold, and as I was interviewing various guests, commentators, and asking these sorts of questions, when is it time for civil disobedience? Uh, I recall there were all sorts of comments that came, and I think rightly so. Uh, we haven't yet exhausted all of the levers of being able to make sure we're in the right place before God and before the law, trying to be good citizens. When it comes to levers, I think listeners can hear you had gone through a period of time where uh, things were you were happy to go along with, even being closed down as a church, but eventually you got to the point where you said no further. Shannon, if I come to you, I guess it helps when you've got a church leader who really has some pretty significant backbone. And I think no matter what people think of John McCarthy, they, you can't, uh, uh, can't argue with the fact that this man is a man of backbone. And he really made, he really made commitments since back to 1975. Uh, that he wouldn't bow to pressure when it came to the state imposing the church. Any reflection from you here? Yeah, he, that's a really interesting element to the documentary is that in 1975, he preached a sermon during, during uh, dealing with um, suing, you know, suing and when is it appropriate for a believer to sue and legal things. And then he just started getting into examples of when maybe you could sue. And he said, for example, like if the state came in here and shut down the church, we would be doing everything possible in our legal means to keep ourselves open because, uh, and so it was just fascinating. And so when I heard that, we had to have that as part of the documentary, but you know, it just shows a consistency in him that he is looking to the word of God in 1975 and saying the same thing that he said in 2020, because he is focused on the one transcending truth of the world, and that's the word of God, and that's what he's directing his life by. I would say this also is that I think a lot of people think of MacArthur because he has such a strong backbone that he would run roughshod over everything and that he's running the show and everybody just does what he says. There are 40 elders at Grace Community Church, and they were not unanimous to come back together and open up. It took us time to figure that out, and the elders had to argue it out and debate and go to the word of God and figure this out. And John MacArthur was ready to come back after two weeks, but not necessarily the entire elders. And, um, you know, they have to, we have a principle of unanimity where all the elders have to be unanimous in a decision. And um, there was a process to get to that point. And the documentary actually shows that and kind of pulls the curtain back and shows that process of uh, them going to the Bible and fleshing out these concepts and even looking to church history to do so. We'll come back to church history, but Phil Johnson, you did take the county and the state government to court. There was a lawsuit, and while people might be divided on how and when that should have happened or whether the church should do such a thing, you did do this. There was strong leadership, and you eventually won uh, there's something vindicating, isn't there, when the judgment comes down and says, you hear, you, you've won, you were doing the right thing. Yeah, that's right. And, and as events turned out, I think the church was fully vindicated in, in every single point. 
uh, it was a, a frustrating process at the time, and it seemed to be taking forever because the courts weren't even meeting. Uh, the judges would would do things by video, by Zoom, and things like that, and and that there were incessant delays and motions and. Uh, it, it just dragged out for what seemed like a long time. I look back on it now and I see the hand of God's providence that sort of orchestrated everything the way it happened. Uh, but there's no question in our minds that the church did the right thing. And the fact that we filed a lawsuit, uh, put the put the county on, on defense, uh, was actually probably the smartest move that was made in the whole process legally. So you have wisdom from hindsight. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction, what might be wisdom in hindsight may well be wisdom in foresight, because we might anticipate that there'll be another crisis sometime soon, where fear is a factor and where there are those who are in authority uh, look to then oppress or close down or silence the church. Uh, Very quick thought and a comment from you, Shannon. Uh, The way that the reaction to the film uh, by way of thinking of foresight of what comes next, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think that um, I think one thing that the documentary makes clear is that the the government is not neutral, and that spiritual warfare is not compartmentalized into certain arenas of our life, but actually it's going on in every sphere, and we should bring our Christian worldview into every sphere that we enter into, including how we steward our nation and how we're involved in our citizenship. So, uh, you know, this and just seeing and understanding that the people who are running the government uh, could very well have a worldview that is antithetical to the Christian worldview. And in our case, that very much is the case because many of them are operating from a Marxist worldview or at least heavily influenced by Marxism. And, you know, the church uh, in a Marxist worldview should be completely controlled by the state. And um, a Christian needs to understand that. So I think this documentary is kind of uh, making the Christian aware and saying, hey, uh, you, you should be aware of this. You should be discerning this for the future because it could happen again. And uh, the aspect of the documentary with the church history is to help put steel in their veins and to be emboldened to stand for the truth like many Christians have done before us. I want to move into the history in just a few moments that we might be able to rely on and why a church can take this sort of a stand confidently. But before we do, just to come back to you, Phil Johnson, um, when you hear that the government is trying to force you to do things, it's not just a notice arriving in the mail. You eventually had to be dealing with things like governments trying to close down your utilities and wanting to take away your parking. Uh, So when you talk about it's not just a notice in the mail, this really turns into how the church tramples over the rights, how the state tramples over the rights of the church. How do you describe that season that you were in and you were really feeling under attack from the government? Yes, and it was obvious that the government was making a pretty focused attack, not just on Grace Community Church, I and mean, we, we were definitely one of their main targets, but there were other churches in California as well that uh, were threatened with uh, with closure and, and penalties, financial penalties. In our case, you mentioned the parking. Um, at least a quarter of Grace Church's parking is space that's rented from the 
county because it it follows along a a concrete river that runs right next to the church that drains it off when it rains. It's usually empty, but the the land on either side of that wash, it's called, is uh, is not useful for anything to be built on. And so the church has always leased it from the county for parking spaces. And in the midst of this, the county said, we're going to withdraw uh, your right to use the the parking spaces, and that was one of the more imminent, more one of the more imposing threats that they made, a troubling troubling thing because it would have severely crippled our ability ever to meet because the the limitation on Grace Church's growth has always had to do with how much parking space we have available, uh, and this would have been a severe blow to the church, but the. Thankfully, the courts stepped in and realized this was a vindictive move move on the part of the county. And uh, they told the county, you can't do that until these legal questions are settled. And so in the end, the church was able to keep their parking and um, and it turned out well for us. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a sort of frightening moment or a frightening few weeks when the county was saying, we're going to close your parking lot and make it impossible for anyone even to park a car at the church. Phil, when you talk to people today and they question you around taking the government to court, uh, is this something you say that the court actually is a good instrument to use when you are defending your rights? Well, you certainly have a right to use the court. Uh, and, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't expect that the the courts were going to be very sympathetic with the church. In fact, I think the judge that heard this case was not a believer and um, uh, had shown sympathies to like the LGBT community and, and all that. So I don't think anyone expected that he was automatically going to be sympathetic to the church. But uh, he, he saw clearly, I think, that the, the county was just being vindictive. They were trampling the rights of the church uh, and in America, these are constitutional rights to have the freedom of assembly and the freedom of worship. Uh, and all of that was under threat. And thankfully, this judge realized that. And it's one of the reasons the legal process dragged out as long as it did. Uh, the county just kept coming back with with new motions and, and, and new ways to punish the church. And um, it just seemed like it, it, it was a never ending sort of pounding that the church took from the not only the local government but the state government as well a never-ending pounding from the government and we'll come to that history in just a few moments uh, inviting listeners to participate 1-800-316-316 let's take a call from sterling who's in ararat in victoria uh, sterling welcome along Neil, g'day Phil, g'day Shannon. Great conversation today, fellas. Listen, I I live in uh, Victoria in southern uh, Australia, and I was here during the uh, COVID. And the government here, the state government, they had restrictions on church that you could only have ten people attend church, and one of them was the minister. Now, for larger churches, yeah, I don't know how they work out which nine went to church and when. But the whole time that was happening. There was no restrictions on the amount of people who could go to a brothel. Now, I know I'm going to have a bit of a guess and say that I reckon I know where the social distancing was taking place and uh, it was on the brothel. Um, They were allowed to carry on unimpeded. Um, I was recently watching an interview with Nigel Farage in London and he was saying that 
the World Health Organization wants to uh, have treaties with nations that in the future they can impose lockdowns with the people that are signed of the treaty. And he was saying that they're looking at using COVID-style lockdowns for climate change and having climate change lockdowns. So I'm wondering, guys, do you foresee a time in the future where that may happen and churches then could be permanently restricted as to when and how many people can attend? And outside of doing that... Sterling, um, I think this is where you are really getting into the wisdom from hindsight and how that might create some wisdom for foresight. Shannon, have you got a thought here for Sterling? Uh, As he says, all sorts of other things, and perhaps they might even be in the realm of conspiracy theories at this time but they're certainly not beyond the possibility thoughts here for sterling yeah i I think that's a real possibility and um you know i think that this could have turned out very differently um like phil said earlier the the court system it's not necessarily a a, we're we're going to win all the time in fact most of the churches um, at the time that we filed our lawsuit, we're losing their lawsuits. And our lawyers at the time said, there's a good chance you're not going to win. And privately, they said to me, the, the, they thought it was the percentages were nil to nothing that we would actually win this lawsuit. And that's because they understand the climate of what's, what's out there and what's in our court systems. So I just think we're a breath away from that happening again. And I think that's why it's really important for Christians to understand who the headship of the Christ, who, who the head of the church is, and that's Christ. They need to um, be emboldened to take a stand on the truth and not shut down and, um, and hold their ground um, and, and be faithful. And I hope that this, this uh, documentary can embolden them to do that. But I think the future, look, this is an ancient conflict. It's been happening over and over and over again through church history between the state and the church. The only time that Satan can really persecute the church is is through the government. We've we've been shown that throughout history. It's no different today. It's more than likely not going to be any different in the future. Sterling, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to add something to our conversation today. Let me come to some of the history and some of the scripture that we might be able to draw attention to and uh, how you've been able to approach those things. You actually went to Scotland because there was historic conflict between church and state in Scotland. Uh, Staying with you here uh, for a moment, Shannon, uh, your trip to Scotland, how enlightening was that around how you deal with church and state issues? Well, it was amazing. I mean, not only is it a beautiful land, it is rich in church history and... um, I, you know, the reason I went there is because in our statement, um, our Grace Community Church came out with a statement called Christ, not Caesar. And in that statement, it referenced these certain church history moments. And one of them was the Covenanters and then the, also the Great Ejection. They both fall in the 1600s when uh, the, the Scots and um, the uh, Puritans in England were dealing with this idea of how much power does the state actually have in the church? And, um, you know, they came to the conclusion of fleshing out these concepts of, of you know, the, there are spheres of authority and there is a sphere of authority of the government and there's a sphere of authority of the church and of the family. And that one doesn't overcome the other. One doesn't submit to the other. They all three submit to, the, to God. 
And they were taking a stand on that. And the Covenanters, which are Scots, um, you know, the Charles I was saying, I'm going to regulate your church services with the Book of Common Prayer. And he was going to tell them how to do church. He was going to tell them how to worship. And some of it wasn't necessarily all that bad. It was kind of amoral. You could maybe compromise on that or it wasn't even a compromise. But the point was, is that that's not their jurisdiction. That's not their role to do that. And they took a stand on that um, and to the point of death even. And uh, it's fascinating. Their stories are fascinating and they're in the documentary. Phil Johnson, when we reflect on biblical foundation, oftentimes Christian believers were interested in a Bible foundation, not necessarily a proof text, but what we might be able to see from an unfolding history. Uh, How do you reflect on Scripture, even back to Exodus, uh, Pharaoh and the Israelites and and other issues in Scripture? That's right, and Scripture's full of examples like that. The the midwives who wouldn't... uh wouldn't follow uh, what was really a, a an illegal and tyrannical edict from Pharaoh and thus save, you know, infants. Uh, and then you have in the New Testament, of course, the key texts would be um, in Acts 4 and 5, which say, you know, we must obey God rather than men. When there's a conflict between uh, Christ and Caesar, it's, it's almost always because Caesar has intruded into that realm uh, that belongs solely to Christ and uh, the church. He, Christ is the head of the church, like Shannon said. And uh, that's really the bottom line lesson in all of this. And of course, uh, Jesus saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Uh, with the flip of a coin, he's really given us a a contrast between church and state and something you can certainly build on there, an argument. Let me ask you, though, once you've got a church organization and uh, the people in the church are divided, as you said, I think, Phil, it was, uh, you know, got 40 elders in the church. Even they were divided over this. What happens that gets everyone on the same page and you decide that you really need to make a stand? Uh, Phil, any further thought from you on that? Yeah, it takes a lot of discussion, and the thing that unifies our church is that even though we may see issues differently for a time, we're all committed to the authority of Scripture. So if you can convince me by Scripture that a particular view is right, even if I might have been disinclined to see it that way from the start, uh, I will change my opinion. And so, uh, especially among our elders, there was quite a lot of biblical discussion about uh, what are the limits here? What what actually is our duty as as stewards of the church and and under the lordship of Christ in the church? How far do we do we go in submitting to these authoritarian uh, dictates of of the California governor governor? Which you know it was pretty clear that he was he was going to continue just loading on the church all sorts of restrictions to make sure that we wouldn't meet. And uh, and our response was, look, we have to meet. I mean, Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, and there are very rare exceptions to that. Obviously, you know, if you've got a contagious disease, you need to stay home. But in this case, they were quarantining healthy people. They were trying to put a, a stop to any kind of gathering, and particularly gatherings that uh, you, you know, were designed to bring believers. And in the meantime, the same 
media were encouraging rioters in the street, uh, literally. Hundreds of thousands of people in downtown Los Angeles pressed shoulder to shoulder, rioting over social issues. And the government is saying, that's okay, but you can't, you can't sit in the church next to another believer and sing and pray together. It just was a clear, uh, it had a clear agenda to, to shift the focus of our people away from our, our, our desire to worship God together and share fellowship as believers. I get your thoughts here, Shannon, because as Phil's sharing those thoughts, I know listeners will know that there were some mass protests on the streets in Australia. And uh, I know that the protesters would consider those peaceful protests, the ability of people to stand and uh, bring a peaceful protest in, as you would expect to do in a democratic society. And the media seemed to portray those as really quite violent, rioting protests. And, of course, there might have been occasional ones who were out of control in those circumstances. You can't control everyone who turns up. Any perception here on the way the media was treating you as a church when you were going through the lawsuit and when the challenges were there around the COVID pandemic? Yeah, and it was clear that they didn't see us as essential, and it was clear that they thought that what the folks were doing out and rioting and protesting was an exercise of free speech and what is good for the country and things like that, but they clearly did not see that for the church. They did not see that the the church had anything to help the country with. Um, so on top of that, I just, you could tell the way that they would report it, that they were clearly pushing a certain narrative. And when it came to us, you know, we were killing grandma, but when it came to the rioters, you know, they were just doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and, and it's important to note that the rioters here weren't like the protesters you had in Australia. They were protesting the, the government lockdown and all that. And as you said, mostly peaceful. Here, the, the main riots that occurred were in response to the George Floyd killing, and uh, they were violent. I mean, there are, there are some famous YouTube videos you can find online even with uh, media reporters standing there in front of flaming buildings with people throwing rocks and, and beating each other up, reporting these are mostly peaceful protests, and there was clearly nothing peaceful about them. Plus, they were these large gatherings of mostly unmasked people at the very time when they were saying how deadly the threat was from COVID, and yet they made an exception for the rioters. It, it, it just sort of gave the, it showed the reality of the lie behind uh, what motivated the lockdowns. Let's take another call. Tony is in Greenslopes in Queensland. Hi, Tony. Hi, Neil. Hi, Phil and Tony. Need to be quick, Tony. What are your thoughts? Yeah, just quickly, as you know, Neil, I drive Uber, and one of the things that you sign up to is that you're not allowed to bring up certain conversations, and one of them being religious, obviously, but I just find that that whole thing is just a forerunner to, you know, what, what you're discussing today, not just government, but also organisations that say that you have to be politically correct. Um, I always either have Christian music or vision on, and I ask people the question about their their, their their salvation or their you know whatever when the opportunity comes. But 
I've been taken off the platform many times because of this. Tony, you're making a good point here. A very quick response from Shannon when it's not just government, but uh, there are businesses, uh, corporations who feel weaponized along the lines of being politically correct. A quick thought for Tony? Yeah, you know, we interview Scott Atlas and Jay Bhattacharya and Sean Kaufman. Those are our three scientists. Scott Atlas was an epidemiologist, or is. He's at Stanford, and he was censored uh, considerably. So was Jay Bhattacharya. They were deplatformed for saying the things that they said about the truth concerning um, COVID. And that speaks to the censorship. And um, yeah, I mean, there's clearly a suppression and a deplatforming of people who speak the truth and don't speak uh, the narrative they want you to speak. And we saw examples of that, really strong examples of that during the lockdowns. Thank you, Tony. Uh, One more call, and then we'll uh, tell listeners how they can watch this new movie. Let's hear from David in Perth, Western Australia. Hi, David. Welcome. David, are you with us? Uh, David, uh, can't get you there. I think we might have to uh, forego your call. Thank you so much for trying to get through there. Let's talk about the film. It's got a launch in the United States, 28th of July. In Australia, we're going to be able to see it sometime in August. There's a cinema release in the US, but I'm not sure there's a cinema release in Australia. Uh, Do you have some details around how the best way for Australian audiences to see this film come? Uh, Come with with you on this, Shannon. Uh, Thoughts here? Yeah, sure. The best way to keep up to date on this is you go to EssentialChurchMovie.com and subscribe. Just put your email in there. You'll get updates as far as what's going on, where this movie's going to be showing, and how you can get it in the future. After the theatrical release, I don't know exactly when, but August, September, it will start to be streaming on platforms as well as there will be Blu-rays and DVDs for sale uh, through the website. And you can get all that information from EssentialChurchMovie.com. So when we're watching our uh, pay TV platforms here in Australia, there's likely to be uh, the Essential Church movie is likely to appear on, you know, one of those or some of those? It's possible. It's very possible. We're working very hard, and I'm sure it's going to be on some, maybe some free ones even. We don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, we, we are working really hard to get that out to everybody across the globe. And the EssentialChurchMovie.com, EssentialChurchMovie.com. Wonderful to have been able to talk to our two special guests today who are expert around this. They've been there. They've done that. Uh, They took their county and their state to court when they were told that they could not meet for church. And after expending all of those levers of being able to make their own point heard, the courts found in their favour. And uh, that's a challenging situation for anyone who went through those challenges here in Australia. But as we say, wisdom in hindsight, maybe wisdom in foresight, because before we know it, there may well be another fear campaign and ways that government tries to coerce and mandate and control the narrative of the church, uh, which needs to be preserved uh, in all of the freedom that we appreciate. Phil Johnson, Executive Director of the Ministry, grace to you. Phil, thank you so much for great insights today on 2020. Thanks for having me. And Shannon Halliday, uh, congratulations on the film. 
You're the director of the Essential Church movie. I know that there'll be a lot of Aussies now who are going to want to see that and they'll see themselves in our Australian circumstance in some of the things they've gone through. Different states had different experiences here in Australia, but there'll be some who are saying that really strikes a chord with me. Shannon Halliday, thank you so much for taking time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.